Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. All right. And uh, this is basically uh, a part two. Last week we were in Daniel. We started the book of Daniel, or started the book of Daniel. We started Daniel chapter nine. And uh, as we were going through it, this was Daniel's prayer. And we didn't finish it. And so we're going to finish that this morning. So this is Daniel's prayer uh, part two. Uh, one of the things uh, I want to just share, and this is what we, you can look at back at verse 2. This is kind of towards the beginning of the chapter. Daniel wrote this, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayers and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And we, we went over a lot of that this uh, last week. And I separated Daniel's prayer here into a two-week study because of the sake of time, for the sake of time. But remember, as we look at the second part here, this is one prayer of Daniel. And up until verse 16, we'll be picking it up at verse 16 this morning, but up until verse 16, Daniel hasn't made a single request at all. He is confessing. He says, we have sinned. In fact, verse 20, if you want to just look down there, that's at, we'll be looking at that this morning, but he said, while I was confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. And what I mentioned last week is it's really interesting. If you go and you look through the book of Daniel, there's no mention of Daniel's sin. Now, now we know he was a sinner. He's born in sin. There's no, I'm not coming up with some new doctrine or anything like that. We know he was a sinner. But it's interesting that the Bible doesn't record any of his sins. Many of the other great men and women of the Bible, their sins are mentioned. Moses, his sins mentioned. David, his sins mentioned. But we don't read anything about Daniel. And yet here is Daniel confessing his sin and the sin of his people. So the very first thing he's doing is confessing. The second thing that he was doing is making a proclamation. God, you are righteous in your judgment. Look at verse 7. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face. You know, sometimes when God disciplines us, we think that God's out to get us or he's angry or anything. God loves you. I just got to tell you right now, God loves you. But he does discipline his children. But God is righteous in what he says. So Daniel was making that proclamation in his prayer. And then the other thing that Daniel was doing was, his, was acknowledging. Acknowledging, Lord, we deserve our punishment. Look at verse 11. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And you can go into Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, Numbers or Leviticus 26. I think it's Leviticus 26. You can go to those chapters and there the Lord is telling him, hey, if you follow me, if you obey me, you're going to be a blessed nation. You're going to lend to other nations. Uh, you're going to, one of you is going to chase, or five of you is going to chase a thousand. I'm going to bless you. You'll have good crops. Your children will be blessed. I mean, there are all these blessings if they would obey and follow the Lord. But on the flip side of that, 
If you disobey, if you start adopting the idolatry of the nations around you, you will be a cursed people. And so Daniel, he's reading, you know, he's, he's been reading the book of Jeremiah, obviously, because he mentioned that. And, and so he's reading these things and he's saying, man, we've sinned. We deserve being in Babylon. He understands that he's is acknowledging that. So confessing sins, proclaiming that God's righteous and acknowledging that they deserve the punishment. But now from verse 16 to verse 19, that's what we're going to kind of focus on now. It moves from confession to petition. It's at this point that Daniel's going to start asking the Lord. Let's read it together, beginning with verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your holy city, or excuse me, from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations, and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteousness, or excuse me, because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. And there's some things that I want to point out in, in this portion of Daniel's prayer that I think we can apply into our own lives this morning. The very first thing that we see about Daniel's prayer is that it is a priestly prayer. You might say, what do you mean by a priestly prayer? Well, if you recall in the book of Exodus, God instructed Moses what the high priest would wear as his clothing. And one of the things that the high priest was to wear was an ephod. And there was a judgment, excuse me, there was a, the ephod and it had 12 stones. And each individual stone had the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then on his shoulders, there were two onyx stones. And on the onyx stones, on each, on each one, there was six names of each of the tribes. So six on one and six on the other of the 12 tribes of Israel. And God told Moses what the purpose for the ephod was. <clears throat> Excuse me. In Exodus chapter 28, verse 29, he said, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. So every time Moses or every time Aaron, the high priest, would go in, man, the names of the children of Israel will be on his heart as he approaches the Lord God. The purpose for the onyx stones, verse 12 of Exodus 28, and you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, so Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. So they were to be on his heart, and then he was to bear their burdens, bear them before the Lord. That's what this was uh, symbolizing. Now, while the high priest's clothing symbolized what takes place excuse me, in the priesthood, Moses, who was Aaron's brother, actually, 
like David, actually lived it out in his life and in his ministry. Back in Exodus chapter 32, in Exodus 32, Moses is up on the Mount Sinai and he's receiving the Ten Commandments. God is inscribing his law for the children of Israel and Moses has them on two tablets. And then at some point, God tells Moses, go down because the children of Israel are worshiping idols. And what, I mean, you guys know the story. They had Aaron make a golden calf. And they were worshiping the golden calf as if the golden calf had delivered them from Egypt. And God had told Moses, he said, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. And then in verse 10 of Exodus 32, he says, Now therefore, this is God speaking, Let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And I will make of you... A great nation. He's speaking of Moses. Moses, I'm going to make a nation of you, the Moselites, or whatever you want to call them, children of Moses. Verse 11, Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. And then here's the key. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit forever. Inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he would do to his people. See, Aaron represented that as he was going in. That was a high priest. That that was the symbolism. But Moses lived it out as he was ministering. Daniel here in Daniel chapter 9 is living it out. His prayer is a priestly prayer. A priest, of course, first and foremost ministers to God. That's the first and foremost job of a priest but he also stands in the gap between man and God. In fact, in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, it says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God is looking for those that would stand in the gap, but he couldn't find any at that point. You and I, brother and sister in the Lord, the Bible says we're a royal priesthood. And we're called to stand in the gap between man and God. How do we do that? We do it through intercessory prayer, through praying for people, carrying their burdens on our shoulders, having them on our hearts, and coming before the Lord, taking them before the Lord. Look what Daniel did. Verse 16, Daniel said, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. And then in verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. This is a priestly prayer, praying for those, uh, the children of Israel, that, they're, that they are there, you know, those are the ones that are in Babylon in captivity. He's praying for them. If you're a parent here this morning, and you have smaller children. You know, when your children do stuff, you can, you can 
you can intervene, right? You can act, you can, you can discipline them, you can correct them, you can instruct them. And that is the job of parents. We're, we're to do that. If you're a child here and your parents are doing that, that's their job. And God gave them that responsibility to do. But it, after a while, your, your kids grow up. You know, and, and maybe you're, maybe, maybe even now you're a grandparent. You're not a parent. Well, you're still, you're always a parent, but maybe now you're a grandparent or you're an uncle and an aunt. Uncle or an aunt. You're not both. <laughs> uncle and an aunt. Oh. Anyways, these kids are bigger. And yet, we're all sinners, right? And sometimes they make bad choices and they do things. And you want to intervene, but you can't because, I mean, they're adults in some cases. They're already adults. What do you do? Well, you can stand in the gap for them through intercessory prayer. You know, and sometimes, and I've been accused of, or not been accused, but I've said this before. It's like, well, you know, I can't do anything about it. Well, at least I can pray. And I've caught myself saying that. That's really the wrong attitude because that's the first and foremost thing we can do is pray. We, we can pray and then maybe we can do something about it. That's what, really what our attitude should be rather than, oh, I can't do anything, but I can pray. No, you can pray. In fact, we should pray. And so that's what intercessory prayer is. This is what Daniel is doing for the children of Israel. It's kind of like also what Job did for his children. Let me read this to you in Job 1, verse 5. This is describing Job, the godly man. It says, So it was when the days of fasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. He's talking about his children. He would send and sanctify them, and he would rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Here's a man, a father, standing in the gap for his children, praying for them regularly. So we see the first thing we see about Daniel's prayers of is a priestly prayer. The second thing we see about Daniel's prayer is that it's offered in accordance with God's character and his promises. You'll notice in verse 15, before Daniel even starts petitioning the Lord, he brings up Egypt. Verse 15 and now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. That's the last thing he says before he starts petitioning the Lord. Why is he doing it? He's reminding God of his mighty deliverance, of bringing the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. At this point, Daniel already acknowledged earlier in his prayer, we talked about that last week, that they were exiled to Babylon because of their sin. They were disciplined because they continued to rebel against God. We see that in verses 11 and verse 13. But here in verse 15, he's reminding God of his long-suffering. That word long-suffering really means patience. His patience with the children of Israel. And he delivered them. You know, he, he had just brought them out of, out of uh, Egypt, brought them to the, to the uh, to edge of the uh, uh, Red Sea, and they're complaining already. And they're, they're whining and they're complaining. God delivers them out of there. The next thing, a few days later, they get to uh, Rephidim or wherever it is, and there's no water, and now they're grumbling and complaining. For 40 years, God put up with their rebelliousness and they're grumbling and they're complaining and they're they're continuing to walk away from him and god was patient and and that's what daniel's reminding them by bringing up the children of israel and the fact is god is patient psalm 103 verse 8 the lord is merciful and gracious 
slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And we, we worship a merciful God, but God is also holy and he's righteous. And they're disciplined by him, the children of Israel there in Babylon. Why? Because God loves them. He wasn't out to destroy them. He loves them. Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12 says this, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. God loved his people, but he's also a holy and righteous God. And so he was disciplining them for their rebellion. But God is also merciful. And so Daniel now is asking God to deliver them once more. And his prayer is in, cor- in accordance with God's character. God is a long-suffering, a patient God. God is also a holy and righteous God, but he's also a merciful God. I love that about the Lord. And his prayer not only is, is in accordance with God's character, but it's also in accordance with his promises. Because God is faithful to his covenant. I want to reread what I read earlier to you, Exodus 32, verse 13, when Moses said this to the Lord, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. Moses reminding God, you promised that you would deliver the children of Israel, based on your promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Daniel is doing the same thing here. Why is it important? Why do we need to remind God? It's not like God has forgotten anything. But for you and I to pray according to God's promises, I think is important. What, what kind of promises has God given us, you and I believers? And why would we do that? Listen, God is holy and righteous but he's, he's the same. He's the same Lord. We worship the same God that Abraham worshipped, the same God that David worshipped. He's still holy and righteous. He's also still slow to anger and patient with us. And he's still faithful to his promises. What promises has he given you and I? First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you confess your sins to the Lord, man, he's faithful. He'll never say, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. I'm not in that business anymore. He's faithful to forgive us. That's a promise you and I can cling to. I cling to it. You guys probably don't. You guys don't sin, but I do. I have to cling to that one. (laughs) Philippians 1 verse 6. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a comfort? You know, sometimes I feel like I was just such a, a, such a bonehead in some of the things I do spiritually. It's like, Lord, why do you love me so much? Why, do you, why are you so patient with me? He's still working in each one of us, and he'll complete that work. He's faithful to complete that work that he began in each one of us. 1 John 5, verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You're praying to the Lord, Lord, I want to I grow in my prayer life. I want to grow in my, my, my time in your word. Lord, I, I don't want to do that sin anymore. That's God's will. He's going to hear your prayer. The answer is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. 
So the next thing we see about Daniel's prayer, um, besides it being according to his promises and his character, is that he petitions the Lord based on the basis of God's mercy. Look at the end of verse 18. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. This is an important thing that I think you and I as believers need to understand. And this is the first thing. If you think God is going to hear your prayer and bless you because of your righteousness, I've been good this week. Now the Lord's going to hear me. You're mistaken. You're greatly mistaken. We have no basis to approach God. doesn't matter how good you are. You have no basis to approach a holy God. We approach him solely on the basis of his mercy alone. On the flip side of that, if you think God is not going to hear your prayer because of your unrighteousness, you're also greatly mistaken. Satan will lie to you to make you feel so ashamed and so unworthy that he'll try to keep you from turning to the Lord in prayer. Again, we approach him solely on the basis of his mercy. Now, God is holy and righteous, and he doesn't bless sin. So if we have sinned, we need to come to him in humility, confessing our sins and asking for forgiveness. But this is what the enemy does. The enemy will try everything that he can in his power to make you feel ashamed, to make you feel defeated, and that you're beyond God's mercy. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. You're not beyond God's mercy. God loves us. So when you and I sin, don't let sin and failure keep you from coming to God who is merciful. He's gracious, he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in steadfast love. So Daniel is approaching God on the basis of his mercy. Lord, I'm not asking you this because we're good, because we obviously aren't. We've blown it. We're here in Babylon. We're sinners. We've rebelled against you. But Lord, I'm asking you on the basis of your mercy. That's the same thing that you and I can do when we go to the Lord in prayer. The next thing we see about Daniel's prayer is that it's for the sake of God's glory. And this comes out in several places. In verse 16, he says, Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. In verse 17, For the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Verse 18, Oh my God, incline your, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. Verse 19, do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. That's one thing that jumps out in those verses is how many times Daniel reminds God that it's your sanctuary, Lord, that is desolate. It's your city, Jerusalem, and these are your people. He says that over and over and over again. It was, it was their sin that brought the reproach on Jerusalem. It wasn't God's fault. It was their fault. It was their sin that did it. But Daniel is focused on God's reputation. This is a very God-centered prayer. The reason why I bring that up is in my own life, and I'm sure in yours is too, how often do our prayers turn inward and become focused on ourselves? Notice Daniel twice asked God to act for his sake. 
and verse 17 and verse 19. You know, many times, and I, I, we do see this in contemporary worship, I see it anyways in contemporary worship many times, that the, the theme of, of, of some of the worship coming out nowadays is more like, man, God's there for me. You know, he meets my needs. He comes to my aid. He gives me, you know, he gives my life meaning. And I feel loved by him. Those are all true. They're, those are truisms, by the way. But the reality is, God doesn't exist for us. The reality is, we exist for him. Plain and simple. Uh, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. He gets, he's going through all the vanity of everything, and Solomon was the wealthiest man, uh, the, the wisest man, smartest guy, and you know he was exploring, he was basically doing everything, trying to find fulfillment in life through fun, through wealth, through pleasure, through anything that he could. And at the end of chapter 12 in Ecclesiastes, he says this, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is life in a nutshell. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. That's your and my purpose in life, to fear God and to keep his commandments. Paul kind of said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. See, you and I are ambassadors, the Bible says, to a lost world. I wonder in our lives, in my own life, how often do I represent him in, how often do I represent, give God a good reputation through my life, how I live my life? Do I bring glory to him and glory to his reputation? This is what Daniel is praying. Lord, your reputation's at stake here. The next thing we see about Daniel's prayer is that it's a passionate prayer. If you look at verse 19, look at the brevity of the sentences there. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. And the exclamation points, they're put in there by the translators. And they're looking at the brevity of it, and it just seems so passionate. And and I don't know if... I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I don't know how what, what the criteria was. But they obviously thought, man, there's some emotion going on here at verse 19. And if you read through this prayer, the tone of the prayer, it seems to be reaching a crescendo of emotion right now. You know, Jesus said something in Matthew 11, verse 12, that's kind of an interesting thing. He said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Now, he's not talking about burning down buildings and killing people and beating up people. That's not what he's talking about. The violence that Jesus is referring to seems to refer to, in my opinion, spiritual warfare and the intensity of spiritual warfare. I think that's what this context is. And if you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ and the ministry of John the Baptist, it was intense spiritually. Jesus was always being attacked by his enemies. I don't think he ever had a day where it's like Satan said, oh, give Jesus a, don't give him a break, you know. It's a, give him a holiday up. No, it's constantly. Spiritual warfare was intense. And there at the end of verse uh, 12, Jesus said, and the violent take it by force. And I think what he's referring to is the spiritual intensity in the life of the believer. 
And if you look at Daniel's prayer, there is definitely an, an intensity, a, a heightened level of intensity at the, this point in Daniel's prayer. And I like what F.B. Meyer said. He said, God loves to see us in dead earnest. It is not long, but strong prayers that prevail with him. He sometimes seems to deny us that he may draw us out in supplication. He doesn't always give us the answer right away because he wants us to pray. He wants us to press in and seek him. And sometimes, like Jacob, you and I are called to wrestle in prayer before an answer comes. Jesus said this in Luke 11, verses 5 through 9, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. He will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. And then Jesus said this, I say to you, though he will not rise and give him uh, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And he says that word there, yet because of his persistence, that word persistence, it, it means without shame. And in the context of Luke 11, it means recklessness or disregard of consideration by the one making the request. Now I'm just going to ask, and I'm, gonna, I'm just, I'm just going to ask. I don't, this is the time. Coming in and knocking on the door at midnight. I need some bread. James said this in verse 16b through verse 18. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And I, 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 we don't have a, rec a record of, of, of Elijah's, Elijah's prayers. I don't think there is. You can just imagine how passionate he was praying to the Lord. And like a guy famously said, and now for the rest of the story, <laughs> verse 20 and verse 21. Now while I was speaking praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me at about the time of the evening offering. Daniel's not even finished with his prayer. He hasn't even said, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> you know, he, hasn't even, he hasn't even finished his prayer, and he's interrupted by an angel. Man, the audacity. <laughs> he's interrupted by the angel Gabriel. And he says that he's talking of Gabriel. He says, he reached me about the time of the evening offering. You know what's interesting about that? There was no evening offering at that point. Why? They're in Babylon. The temple's destroyed. They, they can't do sacrifices there in Babylon. They're not doing sacrifices. So what is Daniel doing? I think Daniel is using that time 
that would have been if they were in Jerusalem and offering the sacrifices. It's like, this is one of my times. I'm going to pray. I'm going to come before the Lord and offer my prayers. And Daniel, we know that he did three times a day regularly for 80 plus years. He was a man of prayer, going before the Lord, praying. And so this is, it's at this time that Gabriel appears to Daniel. Verse 22, And he informed me and talked to me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. And I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Now, we are going to talk about the vision next Sunday. But I want to look at what, his, what, what Gabriel just said in the context of Daniel's prayer. Notice that at the beginning of Daniel's supplications, the word went out. You know, there's angels that are just there around the throne of, of the Father. And God just, he sends them, they're messengers. And so he sends them. And so these angels are standing, Gabriel's one of them, standing there in the presence of God the Father at the throne. And as Daniel starts to pray, God says, go. And he sends Gabriel. God didn't wait for Daniel to say the right combination of words. I think that's an important point. And I don't, I'm not part of the faith, word of faith movement. Um, I, 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 let me just put it this way. Based on my understanding, I'm just going to put it in a nutshell. But I think this is the, if you were to condense the word of faith down into like, give them kind of a, some kind of a sentence to describe them, this is what I think anyways. My words of faith cause God to act. And I don't know if that's perfectly accurate, but that's, my, that's where I look at it. You know, if I say the right combinations of words and I say them by faith, God's got to act. And so it's not until I say those things that God acts. But if you look at this passage, man, Daniel's just starting to pray, and God's already sending the answer. God's already beginning to act. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. And this is another key thing to see in this. Daniel wasn't praying. I mean, go, go ahead and reread that prayer. Daniel wasn't praying, God, I need to know that you love me. I need to, I need to sense your presence right now. I need, to feel, I need to feel like you love me. That's not in this. Daniel is confessing sins before the Lord. Daniel wasn't even praying for understanding. Lord, I just, why is this happening? Daniel's not praying that at all. And yet the angel says... I have come to tell you you're greatly beloved. Daniel wasn't asking for that. Gabriel said that. And therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. What did Daniel, you know, Daniel understood, as we read in the beginning of Daniel chapter 9, he understood from the prophet Jeremiah that, hey, it's almost been 70 years. The captivity is almost over because back in Jeremiah, God said, you will be in Babylon for 70 years. And Daniel's looking at the calendar. Man, it's, it's soon. And so now he's confessing sins and asking the Lord to restore the people to the land. Daniel was praying and he was confessing the sin of his people as we talked about last week. He's interceding on behalf of the people as we talked this week as as a priest would. It's a priestly prayer. He's praying according to God's character and his promises. He's making his request of God 
uh, on the basis of God's mercy, not on anything that they've done. He's seeking God's glory, and he's praying passionately. And the answer to his prayer is much more than he was asking for. It's beyond what he was asking for. What's taking place? I think Daniel's heart is being aligned with the heart of the Lord. And that's what happens when you and I pray. When we pray to the Lord, we, we come before him, we pray passionately, we pray according to his promises, we pray, you know, we pray, we intercede for people. That's the heart of the Lord. That's what he wants us to do, to be a praying people. And so Daniel's heart is being aligned with the heart of the Lord, and Daniel is being blessed, and he's being changed, because that's what will happen. You got a problem with someone that's just, you know, they've treated you badly. You're just really, you know, you don't even want to be in the same room with them, man. Pray for them. They may not change, but God's going to change you. I guarantee it. God will change you through prayer. Daniel's being changed, and he's being blessed. He's receiving things from the Lord. His knowledge of the Lord and, and God's will is being expanded. God's giving him much more than he was even asking for. Why? It all is through prayer. It's all through prayer. And if you hear nothing this morning, I hope you heard the heart of the Lord. I've been praying about this, Lord. I, I, I pray that you would communicate your words to your people this morning. He wants you to seek him in prayer about everything. I want to close with this last quote. It's a continuation of the quote that I mentioned earlier from F.B. Meyer. It's a little bit old English. I don't know when F.B. Meyer was alive, but it's a little bit, but I think it's so fitting. God is more eager to hear and to bless us than we are to pray. Even now the divine answer is hastening towards thee, swifter than the speed of the morning beams across the vault of space. While we are speaking in prayer, nay, before the beginning of our supplication, the angel is sent out and he is made to fly very swiftly. Man, I hope you're encouraged to pray this morning, to seek the Lord. Let's pray like Daniel prayed, standing in the gap for people, praying according to God's character, according to his promises, praying passionately like Elijah prayed passionately, Daniel praying passionately, and praying, uh, remembering, you know, I want to glorify God in my life, and praying that, man, my life would glorify you. I'm, we're all ambassadors, Lord. I want to represent you in the best way possible to this world around you because they have a lot of bad examples out there. And I want to be a good example for you, Lord, for your glory. And that's what we should be praying. Let's go, Lord, in prayer this morning, and I'll have the worship team come on up.